News, notes, and Zola next on Baseball HQ Radio. He levels the bat a couple of times. Shall kicks and he fires. Rose Swain. There it is. There it is. Get out. Get out. All right. Hit number 4192. A live drive single into left center field. Learn to play the winner's way. Because Baseball HQ Radio starts right now. And here's your host from BaseballHQ.com, columnist Patrick Davitt. And welcome to Baseball HQ Radio for Friday the 13th of June. It's Skeddy. It's show number 42 of the 2014 Fantasy Baseball season. I'm Patrick Davitt, your host, and we have another great show for you with our regular contributors from BaseballHQ.com, the best fantasy baseball website in the business. We'll open with player news from the National League with Harold Nichols and from the American League with Jock Thompson. Then we'll have our weekly Talk with Todd, featuring Todd Zola discussing why runs are the forgotten category, lineup stacking in daily games, and using the players' own tables to your advantage in monthly leagues. In our regular Friday matchups analysis, Greg Fishwick looks at Pittsburgh right-hander Charlie Morton at Miami against left-hander Randy Wolf. San Diego right-hander Tim Stauffer at the Mets, facing right-hander Zach Wheeler. And another Padres-Mets tilt, right-hander Ian Kennedy taking on right-hander Daisuke Matsuzaka. And in Master Notes, it's my turn and I'll be talking about using the rearview mirror instead of the windshield. It's another Big Friday show. Thanks for joining us at Baseball HQ Radio. Hey, what do you say? We gotta talk some baseball. And the first inning of this Friday News and Notes edition, as usual, our League Watch News reports. Jock Thompson is on deck with players from the American League. And leading off, it's the National League report and our old friend Harold Nichols. Nick, welcome back to Baseball HQ Radio. Thank you, Patrick. Always good to be here. Nick, as you know, at BaseballHQ.com, we have a couple of very useful measures for batting power. We have Power Index, a metric that uses on-field results like homers and doubles to assess how much power a batter is showing relative to his league. We call that PX. And then we have Expected Power Index, which is a metric about power skills, hard hit, line drive, and fly ball rates that we use to calculate what a batter's PX should be if luck was taken out of the equation. We call that XPX for short. How does a fantasy owner use these HQ metrics? A power index is a pretty reliable indicator of power. Uh, league average is 100, so if you've got a guy that's well over 100, you've got uh, exceptional power. If he's under 100, he's not getting a whole lot of below average in terms of power. And top power guys are above 150. Uh, Giancarlo Stanton is at 196. Paul Goldschmidt, 185. That gives you an idea of what a real top power guy would look like. When, when you look at XPX, we're looking at a guy who's we're looking really for a guy whose power index, whose PX, and his expected power index are a ways apart because that could indicate there's some luck going on or something happening that could mean a correction is coming. Either that he's hitting far too many home runs uh, and the power index is too high and has got to come back down, or the reverse could be true, that uh, we're expecting more power out of the guy as, uh, as things develop over the course of the season. Exactly so, and I think the most telling metrics in that regard when you're looking at the luck that's involved in power has to do with fly ball rate and then home run per fly ball rate because you want to see that a guy is hitting enough fly balls to justify his home runs and has a home run per fly ball rate that's within normal ranges, and we're going to talk about that 
Greg Pyron looks at exactly that in the latest batting buyer's guide column, hitters whose current PX is well out of line with their XPX. Plenty of interesting names on Greg's charts. I'm going to be asking Jock Thompson about Jose Abreu of the White Sox when our American League Market Watch segment comes up next. But Nick, I also saw some interesting names among Greg's power overachievers from the National League. Yaziel Puig popped up, uh, Stanton popped up, and his underachievers list, which is probably more interesting to many fantasy owners, includes Washington infielder Anthony Rendon. Yeah, you know, Anthony Rendon's a, Rendon is a good guy to, to look at because he's sort of having already at this point a kind of a breakout season. We're looking at a guy who's uh, putting up a $20, $20 season at this point, nine home runs, uh, 34 RBIs. Our projection is for another 10 home runs, uh, and that would give him 19, which would be, would be a really good season for him. But with nine home runs already, uh, could the question is, could he exceed our projection of 10? And if you look at what's going on with, with him, a power index of 112 right now, an expected power index of 162, which would put him among those elite kind of power guys going forward. And so, uh, you know, what really could happen with Rendon is we set an upside of 20 home runs. I think he could easily top 20 at this point with, with nine already and might even get in the, in the neighborhood of 25. So, uh, here's a guy to look at, uh, 24 years old, uh, in keeper league, certainly someone you might want to latch on to, uh, but could be have a, a lot of value in terms of the power department for the rest of this season. Yeah, that makes sense. He's at nine home runs right now. We're only projecting 10 more for the balance of the year. You'd just think prorating the nine to another 100 games would get him well above that, maybe into the 20s. We're going to also give him credit for maybe 40, 45 RBIs and a couple of bags, 16 or $17 worth of production, not too shabby. Greg's list of potential power underachievers also includes uh, another Washington National. This guy's been around for a while, longtime outfielder Jason Wirth. Yeah, Jason Worth right now is not not hitting uh, the ball in terms of power, not hitting the ball out of the park as much as we would expect. Uh, six home runs uh, so far, which uh, a PX of 81, uh, so really not getting the kind of power that uh, a lot of guys drafted him for. But a, an expected power index of 183, so 100 points difference so far between power index and expected power index. Uh, so something really could happen with with Jason Worth from here on out. Uh, certainly a guy I think now to buy low on in terms of his power uh, could easily exceed uh, that the 11 projected home runs we have for him the rest of the way if that expected power index is any kind of a, a good indication. And this is an instance where, and I hate to get all uh, mathematical here, but one of the issues with PX as a measure is that it counts home runs themselves as part of the calculation. So if you're being a little unlucky as far as home runs not quite clearing the fence or if you're hitting a lot of doubles that are just one-hopping the wall, that kind of thing, a few feet from having more home runs, that really decreases a batter's PX. And that's why expected PX makes such a valuable check on the value of PX itself. Worth projects to about 17 or 18 bucks. We're giving him 11 more home runs, as you said, and maybe 42 RBIs, uh, four or five bags, and a 271 batting average, which is not to be sneezed at in this batting average environment. Nick, Stephen Nickrand has a starting pitcher's buyer's guide column looking at how starters fare when it comes to left-right splits. That is, their performance versus left-handed hitters and right-handed hitters, and if there's a big gulf between those. A name popped up on his list that I thought was worth looking at, former Cy Young winner Tim Lincecum. 
You know, Tim Lincecum, if you, you look at him, has certainly been a uh, frustrating guy to own over the last couple of seasons. I mean, here's a guy you can't quite figure out what he's going to do from one start to the next. If you if you look, in fact, at his PQS for this season, we've got a 54% PQS DOM, a 31% PQS DIS. So almost either almost every start has been either outstanding or just plain bad. And so, uh, you know, the question is, what what's going on here? Is there any way an owner can look at Lincecum and say, okay, this start's likely to be good, this start's likely to be bad, or is it pure luck? The thing that Stephen Nickrand points out that is, that is, I think, useful in this regard, against right-handers, Lincecum has an 11.0 DOM, 2.4 control, 150 BPV, an elite pitcher against right-handed bats. But against left-handers, he can't get the ball over the plate. 6.0 DOM, 7.0 control. He's walking seven guys per nine innings against left-handed batters. And his BPV is a minus 49. So my guess is, I haven't gone back and looked at all those PQS zeros he put it up, he's been putting up, but my guess is he's facing lineups with a bunch of left-handers or some very good left-handed hitters, and that's what's causing the problem when he has one. So if you're a, if you're a Lincecum owner and wants to want to take a chance at that, I think what Stephen has pointed out is very, very useful in terms of trying to figure out how you use this guy uh, in a fantasy league. Nick, you mentioned a couple of abbreviations in there that longtime listeners and BaseballHQ.com subscribers will be familiar with, but some of our listeners might not know about PQS, DOM, and DIS, uh, dominant starts and disastrous starts on the basis of PQS scoring. Give us the 30-second primer on PQS and dominant and disastrous starts. Well, a dominant start means the guy has hit five particular benchmarks in the start in terms of not allowing home runs, going uh, more than five innings, not allowing too many hits, uh, also uh, strikeouts, and, and, and not allowing too many walks. That'll give you a PQS dominant start. If you miss those indicators, you're going to wind up with a PQS disc. And in Lincecum's case, most of them are zeros because he was getting pulled prior to the fifth inning uh, because uh, he was giving up way too many hits and too many runs. So... So the PQS thing I think is I find extremely useful in looking at a pitcher. Uh, it gets rid of some of the luck that uh, that happens with when you look just at earned runs and and that sort of thing. Um, and, and so that's what PQS is all about. Right, PQS, you get a score of 0 to 5 as a pitcher based on the benchmarks. As you mentioned, Nick, a 0 or 1 numerically counts as a disaster, uh, four or five counts as a dominant start, and then Baseball HQ goes one step further and compares the dominant to the disaster in terms of percentage. And just so you know, an elite pitcher will probably be in the 90% dominant, 5% disasters, or I've seen even seasons where elite-level pitchers have had 0% disasters, and of course that's exactly what you want. It's a tremendous measure of consistency. Uh, Nick, you also mentioned BPV, that's base performance value, a combined metric using all of the skills metrics and rolling them up into one easy-to-understand number. 70 is about good. Uh, that's where you really want your starting pitchers especially to be. And anything above that, of course, is gravy. Sometimes you'll see starters over 100. Uh, not a lot of optimism at Baseball HQ about Lincecum's future. His strikeouts will help control his value at least somewhat. But uh, the 405 ERA, a 140 whip, is not going to be much help to a fantasy roster. And finally, Nick, our bullpen's columnist Doug Dennis looks at some leading indicators for closers. We have a saves at risk chart as well as a closer caliber chart, and he uses them to assess some volatile closer situations, including the Colorado Rockies. Uh, Nick, what's Doug saying about the Rockies' bullpen situation? 
Well, you know, we've never thought that Latroy Hawkins was going to work as the Rocky closer for the whole year. At this point, he's got 11 saves, which isn't too bad, and a 3.27 earned run average. So it hasn't looked too too awful in terms of that role. But in in uh, in 22 innings, he has only nine strikeouts and, and has issued five walks. And that's not exactly what you look for in a closer. You know, if you come in with a bunch of guys on base, you hope your closer can come in and strike somebody out and get out of a bad situation. And Latroy Hawkins just didn't got to do it. So uh, Latroy Hawkins is a guy that that we look at and think, yeah, this guy could could cough up that closer role pretty easy. All it would take would be a couple of, of bad outings and a manager to decide this guy can't cut it anymore and to look for someone else. Currently right now a 3.27 ERA, but a 4.68 expected earn run average. So a lot of good luck, I think, at this point helping uh, Latroy Hawkins and down the road certainly may not be able to hang on to that closer role. So Doug goes on and looks at the rest of that Rockies bullpen and the guy to take a really good a really good look at is Adam Odovino. Here's a guy currently with a base performance value of 132, uh, striking out 8.8 guys per nine innings, walking only 1.8, an expected earn run average of 3.27, and has actually, I think, been pitching in higher leverage situations than uh, than Latroy Hawkins at this point. In other words, he's been the guy who's come on with guys on base and gotten the outs, and then you let, let Latroy Hawkins start a clean ninth inning and see if he can pitch through it. Uh, so Adam Odovino is a guy to look at if he's available out there. Certainly, uh, Latroy Hawkins is, I think, a, a closer in danger. It appears that way. Of course, managers like a guy who can be counted on to get a lot of strikeouts because he knows he can bring him in in those dangerous situations where there's runners aboard, uh, maybe no out or one out, and you really need a strikeout to prevent those runs from scoring or those batters from advancing. Having said that, I'm thinking of a pitcher who had a 3.3 dom rate, a 3.3 strikeouts per nine innings for his career, and his name was Dan Quisenberry, and you know what? He was a pretty darn good relief pitcher. He was indeed, you know. So, so it's not always the right the, the thing. The strikeouts aren't always the thing. And you get a guy with Quisenberry who can get a ton of ground balls and a decent infield behind him, and and it can get out of those situations too. So, so you're right. That's not something we we always look at. Uh, pulling up clean appearances, which is a good thing I sometimes to look at. That that means the guy comes in and doesn't allow any hits, any walks, completely clean appearance. At this point, Latroy Hawkins. 15 clean appearances out of 28, all right? Adam Odovino, 21 out of 31. So Odovino a little bit better in terms of clean appearances, and that's something certainly a manager will look at as well. Well, if he's looking, it seems they're both pretty low, around 67%. I think the top guys, Aroldis Chapman, Greg Holland, they're up around almost at 90%. Uh, yeah, they really are. So uh, not as many. You know, I, I would like to see... I'd see 28 out of 30 kind of thing in terms of clean appearances instead of the, uh, so no one in that Colorado bullpen is really showing extremely well at this point. And leverage index, which is when the guy is brought into the game, the highest guy at this point is Boone Logan, uh, but he's a left-hander and has been used in situations where you need a left-hander to get a left-hander out. And so he's not likely to, to wind up in the closer role. So uh, right now the Rockies are using Odovino to get him out of trouble with guys on base. And certainly that's something they could look at uh, in, a, in a stronger role if Latroy Hawkins keeps uh, causing problems. On the other hand, could it be that Colorado realizes that they're making better use of Ottavino if he's their best relief pitcher by putting him in in high leverage situations where they can maximize their chance of actually winning the game and that turning the ball over to a pitcher with a three-run lead and uh, nobody on in the ninth is not the optimal use of your best guy. It's a role pretty much designed for a schlub like Latroy Hawkins. 
That's, a, that's entirely possible, and some managers, in fact, do that. I mean, as much as we might sit back as a fantasy owner and say, why don't they make this guy the closer? Uh, maybe the manager thinks he's found exactly the right solution for his team uh, to use Ottavino to get people out when their guy's on base and let, uh, let LaTroy Hawkins try to pitch a clean ninth inning. Well, Baseball HQ is still projecting 75% of the saves going to Hawkins, 25% to Rex Brothers. But, of course, it is an unstable situation, and that could easily change any time, especially if Hawkins blows four saves and six tries or something like that. Nick, thanks for joining us again this week. We'll catch up with you again in a week's time. Thank you. Always good, Patrick. Harold Nichols writes pitcher matchup reports for BaseballHQ.com, and he's our man on the National League beat here at Baseball HQ Radio. Now let's turn to the American League and BaseballHQ.com Director of News and Analysis, Jock Thompson. Jock, welcome back to Baseball HQ Radio. Hey, friend. How you doing? I'm doing fine, thanks. A little sore back uh, the last couple of days. I'm hoping that I can get rid of it with a little bit of uh, common sense and maybe a a hot pack or something like that. Thanks for asking. Uh, Jock, the big news of the past week, clearly uh, the signing of Kendris Morales. And uh, it was a big surprise where he ends up in Minnesota, of all places. Uh, Barb... Bob Berger covered it for BaseballHQ.com. What's your opinion on this whole situation with Kendris Morales, former Angel? Yeah, it really was kind of a shocker. Um, I, I've always been a, a big Kendris guy. Uh, not that he's a, a star, but he's he's always been a guy who can hit for contact and power. He's going to hit 270, 280 with 20 homers. And he hits falling out of bed like he's shown this last week. He hadn't faced Major League pitching for what? Well, all, all year. And all of a sudden, he's 6-for-13. He had a big game the other day. Um, kudos for Minnesota for, for going after him. They're obviously trying to prove something to their fans. I'm not sure they have the pitching to contend. Um, and maybe, like Bob contends in his uh, playing time t- uh, today write-up, uh, Target Field's not going to have that much of an effect on Kendry. I mean, he played in uh, in Safeco, and he got his 20 home runs and his, and his 280 uh, batting average. And that's a nice lineup suddenly being built by Minnesota with Willingham and Arsha back. So um, he's a good pickup. Jock, I talked with Harold Nichols in the National League Market Watch a few minutes ago about Greg Pyron's Batters Buyers Guide. One of the American League names that jumped off the overachievers list for me was Jose Abreu, the first baseman in Chicago. He had an amazing first month in the major leagues and uh, surprised a lot of people in doing it because of the cold weather. But at the same time, uh, analysts are seeing some troubling signs underneath those gaudy surface stats. Yeah, um, um, as Greg points out, he's got a high ground ball rate, 47% for the year. And his plate skills aren't terrific. Uh, He's beginning to chase pitches. Um, He had a 75% contact uh, rate in April and a a 0.32i. Now it's 60% and and, uh, 0.09 cents. He's swinging at a high number of pitches outside the strike zone, so there is some adjusting he's going to have to do to keep to keep his batting average above par. On the power front, on the other hand, um, I still think he's going to hit his home runs. He's playing in the cell. Um, he's got a lot of power. Um, the the warm weather's coming. The real question is whether he's going to adjust to pitchers and be a little more patient and get more of his pitches to hit. I'm going to play the devil's advocate here. The, what worries me is the combination of two things. He's hitting way too few fly balls, only 33%, and he's hitting 39% of them out of the yard. And that doesn't sound sustainable. I know every player sets his own level in those kind of things, but almost 40% of your fly balls are going yard. That seems a little high to me. So if you assume he's going to keep hitting 
a relatively low number of fly balls and the number of fly balls going out is bound to decline, where's the power opportunity here? Yeah, no, I, I think you're right. I, I think he has to adjust. I think there's a lot to what you're saying here. Um, I will take the other side in that I have seen uh, a lot of games in the cell, both on television and a few personally, and I know what happens to balls when they go up in the air um, in the summer there. Um, anything can, can, can turn into a home run. Um, I'm, I'm not going to bet on his batting average, but I think the power continues. Our projection at BaseballHQ.com for Jose Abreu does call for 22 more home runs, which would be a terrific year, 62 more RBIs, and this is a bit of a surprise, a 296 batting average for a projection. Given all the trouble he's having making contact, does that surprise you? Uh, yeah, it does. We may have to talk a little bit about that one at some point. <laughs> have to call a meeting of the, uh, of the, of the staff. Uh, speaking of, of hitters, Alex Rios got written up in the Facts and Flukes area by Dave Adler of BaseballHQ.com, and he thinks Rios's power days might be numbered. He says his home run for fly ball rate is low and probably should rise. He has league average power and hits too many ground balls, so don't expect a return to 20-plus home runs. What do you think about that? Well, I mean, you see where Dave is coming from when you're looking at the numbers to date. Uh, um, he's had a, an extremely lucky uh, year to date with respect to batting average. Uh, it's being uh, buoyed by a, by a high 40% hit rate. And he's hitting a lot of ground balls. Um, he hasn't hit a lot of home runs. On the other hand, I think all of us know that uh, uh, Alex Rios has been a streaky ball player. In the last nine years, his nine-year low has been 13 home runs, and he has just, what, two this year, three this year, three. And um, you got to believe there's at least 10 home runs in him, particularly in Texas when the weather warms up. Um, I'm not saying this is a, this is a sure thing by any means, but uh, I, think, I think Rios is a, is a good speculative buy low here. It's an interesting point of view. What about the, uh, the other aspects of his game, though? Um, well, I mean, uh, his batting average obviously has a ways to fall, and it probably will. You know how, how the how these things ebb and flow when somebody's hit into, into hit rate luck. But um, Texas is a very good place for uh, for home runs. Um, if you're looking for if you're looking for ten home runs for the rest of the season, I would talk Dave's um, fact fluke up and see if you can get uh, uh, Alex Rios for a song. I was looking at his splits month by month and. and there isn't really much to look at here. We should maybe focus in on uh, on June and July. He's uh, he's around 780 or so for his career. Then he falls off in August. So the of course we can't say that because that's been his career path that that's going to be what happens here. But it has been the case in years past that his performance kind of sags as the year goes on. A little bit of a bounce back in September. I'm I'm a little leery about Alex Rios, but again, if the price is right, maybe you get him on a buy low and you could look like a genius. Uh, Matt Gelfand wrote a Facts and Flukes first impression article about C.J. Cron of the Los Angeles Angels and called him an intriguing second-half speculation. Even though Cron right now is only a part-timer in L.A., you watch him all the time down there in Anaheim. What are you seeing with this guy? Well, I was an early adopter of Cron, Cron um, this, uh, this past fall at the uh, First Pitch Arizona uh, conference uh, where on the minor league forum I, I advised owners that he was going to be up sooner than later despite a so-so year at double uh, a arkansas which is a very home poor home run park and where crone was coming off shoulder surgery um, he was better and he had more upside than advertised by a lot of the off-season prospect reports 
Um, he, he's not an all-star by any means, and he's not Mark Trumbo from a power perspective. He has good power, but fortunately, he's not Mark Trumbo from a contact standpoint either, which should help him. Um, as as Gelfan noted, if Raleigh Ibanez doesn't turn things around, Crone is going to get a lot more playing time, and I think he is a good speculation here. How long are the Angels going to give Ibanez to get things sorted? Well, it's hard to say. My take is that he has probably until the end of June to turn things around. I don't see how you can carry him that much longer. He is uh, only playing now against right-handers, and he's not even playing every day against them. So I think he's on a, uh, a limited rope here. I think so, too, and uh, the end is nigh. Uh, finally, Jock, in Seattle, the uh, Mariners have put Michael Saunders on the disabled list. No news there. But the guy they called up might be a, a, an eyebrow raiser. Jesus Montero is back in Seattle. Yeah, it, it's interesting. Um, uh, Kendr- Kendris Morales goes to the uh, Twins, and uh, from some of the reports I've read, uh, Seattle was at least in on that. They were trying to get him to come there, but uh, but no go. And now all of a sudden, uh, Jesus Montero is back in Seattle, which tells you a little bit about their offensive problems. Um, the best thing about Montero is that he's still flashing power and that he has catcher eligibility. Um, the worst thing about him is that's pretty much all he's doing, and he doesn't catch anymore. He hasn't caught a single game in AAA. Uh, he's a lightning in a bottle play right, right here. He was on a bit of a tear his last 10 games in the PCL, but his overall numbers there weren't really that impressive for, uh, for a league with some of the best offensive venues in baseball. Um, he's he's probably going to have a low batting average. He'll play against left-handed hitters unless he can he can really catch fire. Um, he's going to pop a few home runs, and he's still young enough. Uh, he's 24, but he sure has got a lot to prove right now. Did you see anything about what kind of shape he was in? Because I remember uh, uh, earlier that he was uh, coming into he came into camp looking like a bit of a dough ball, and uh, I wonder if he smartened up and got into the shape that a guy expects to see of a professional athlete making hundreds of thousands of dollars. Yeah, you know, I haven't heard anything about that, but uh, I mean, he's it's like you've suggested. He's got to be in better shape than he was uh, this spring. I mean, he's 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 been playing now for two months plus spring training. Um, I can't believe Seattle would would let him continue to stay there and then call him up. So um, uh, again, he's he's really a flyer right now, and uh, if you can stick him at catcher, why not in deep leagues? Yeah, I think you're right. A, a, a speculative play at best, but with the catcher eligibility. I think that might get a few people at least interested, especially in deeper leagues. Yeah, and uh, and Seattle has offensive problems. I mean, they're they're sitting in the uh, in the bottom five in the American League and runs scored, even though their pitching is at the very top. Um, they're still a contender. If uh, if he can hit some home runs, he's going to win some playing time. I guess we'll just have to wait and see. Jock, thanks very much for talking with us, and we'll catch up with you again next week with more news from the American League. Good deal, PD. We'll see you then. Jock Thompson is the Director of News and Analysis at BaseballHQ.com, and he's our man on the American League beat here at Baseball HQ Radio. Our regular Friday Talk with Todd is next. Todd Zola coming up on Baseball HQ Radio. That ball hit deep in the left center field. Wise back, back. Makes the catch! What a play! Wise makes the catch! What a play by Wise! What a play by Wise. Under the circumstances, one of the greatest catches I have ever seen in 50 years in this game. Alexei! Yes! 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 
HQ Radio. And welcome back to Baseball HQ Radio, the Friday News and Notes edition for Friday the 13th of June. I'm Patrick Davitt. Keep your eyes peeled this week and in the coming days for BaseballHQ.com for these features. Ron Chandler looks at trade vetoes in his Fanalytics column that he calls Thumbs Down. Patrick DiCaprio looks at how to respond if your team is in last place by quitting. And Dr. HQ Rick Wilton looks at injuries affecting players like Mitch Moreland, Justin Smoke, Michael Kadire, Neil Walker, and a depressingly long list of other hurt players. Plus, we have all our regular features, daily analysis of changes in playing time, performance validation in facts and flukes, all our buyer's guide, pitcher matchups reports, and much more, all on the site now or coming up soon at BaseballHQ.com. Now it's time for our regular Friday Talk with Todd, and it's a pleasure to be joined by Todd Zola, contributor to BaseballHQ.com, Chandler Park, ESPN, Fantasy Alarm, Masters Ball, and others. Todd, welcome back to the show. Really great to be back, Patrick. You've been a busy guy the last little while, lots of terrific articles uh, at your various websites where you work, and I'd like to start with uh, a column you wrote at FantasyAlarm.com about runs and you call them the forgotten category, and I wonder why you call them that. Well, you don't often hear people, when you're giving advice or on the radio or something like that, saying, I need runs, who should I trade for? Something like that. It's just uh, because it correlates or everybody gets runs. So it's it's rare that someone is sort of, I need, you know, I need runs, and that's that's their goal. Uh, or even at the draft, you, you don't, there's no strategy where you, you, you focus on runs. I mean, there's, there's stolen base strategies and there's home run strategies. Uh, so it just, it's, it was more of just a tease in the article, uh, in the title. But that's sort of, you sort of have to think of it that way when you strategize as far as how you're going to approach it. And if you're deficient in runs, how you're going to trade for them. If you have extra runs, how do you trade away without influencing the other categories or with ca- with helping two categories at the same time if you need to help your runs. Well, like you said, it, it, it's one of those situations where it seems like all the players score runs. And I wonder to what extent the, uh, the runs category becomes a proxy for at-bats or plate appearances and, you know, just follows along that if you're, uh, if you're a little short in runs, it could be you're a little short in at-bats. How tight is the correlation between runs and at-bats? Of all the, of all the different categories, if if you can call at bats a category, that's the one it, it most correlates with. If you are deficient in runs, chances are you are deficient in at bats or plate appearances for those of us that now play in OBP leagues. Uh, so that that you know you pretty much nailed it there. Uh, you know, plate appearances at bats are currency, especially in deep leagues, and the best way to get runs is to have a lot of plate appearances. Now, if you are, if you have the plate appearances, if you take a look in your scoring site and you seem to be okay with plate appearance and yet you're still deficient in runs, I hate to say it, but it was probably poor team construction. You could have struggling players, but it was probably poor team construction at the beginning that's leading you to be a little bit short in runs. Is it possible also, though, that the uh, the team's 
on which your players play in in real baseball are struggling. And the reason I ask is I have a bit of a runs deficiency. I have Dustin Pedroia, David Ortiz, and Mike Napoli from Boston. I thought this was a pretty good combination of guys on a solid team, and yet the team is the Boston Red Sox themselves are struggling, and that's being reflected in my runs total. I said chances are. I didn't say definitely. Uh, Yeah, no, yes, obviously – you know the you know the whole the theory being you know they're playing so they have the at bats but what I mean by team construction and if you if you have a uh, several players on lesser teams perhaps because their bang for the buck the auction value was depressed or if you have a lot of players hitting lower in the order uh, you they're not going to percentage wise per per plate appearance score as many runs so. In the beginning of the year, that's one of the, the filters you want to do is you don't want to have your team consist completely of of a certain position or a certain team or or, or something like that just because they, they may get you the value as far as what you paid for them or for the draft spot, but the relative distribution of statistics may be that you're short in runs. And, you know, actually, the kind of thing of it, maybe that is a strategy after all, focusing on players that don't get runs and, and get the stats in the other categories, but just sort of have to think about doing that. Uh, and I, I don't know that I would ever suggest that sort of thing. Uh, but yeah, there, you, you, yeah, there are going to be play, you know, I, Matt Carpenter is scoring not quite as many runs, but if you, if someone would have drafted him, in hoping to also get runs, I can see where that team might be a little bit shy right now too. And of course, it, it almost goes without saying, but uh, the advice that we that has been fairly common throughout the years is, if you target home run hitters, you're going to benefit across the board because they're such a powerful influence on not only the home runs category but across the board, and especially including runs. Right, and along the, along those lines, and actually, I didn't mention this in the article. I think it was. Imp- maybe implied if you read between the lines but you might say to yourself okay I've got a lot of steals okay so that means I have a lot of runs if you take a look at the top runs producers in the league mainly they come from high OBP guys at the the top of the order and middle of the order sluggers and they're probably on a good team there's no real stolen base specialist there's, there's, there's leadoff hitters, but they're not the leadoff hitters that, 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 that steal. They're just the leadoff hitters that get on. So if you sort of go into the season thinking, well, if I hit my steals target, I'll probably be okay in runs, you're probably going to be surprised that you, you're not getting as, getting as many runs as you think. So Todd, how can a savvy owner exploit the way runs are underappreciated by so many fantasy owners that they might be competing with? Well, I think one way is to, if you're in trade discussions and you need runs, don't focus on runs. Uh, focus on some of the other categories because chances are the players you're talking about are going to be helping in other categories. And, and you don't, and don't let the other pl- person you're dealing with realize that part of what you're doing is trying to get runs because it's just going to add to what they want back or, or change the value of the perception of the player because when you look at a player i mean the first thing that comes to your head is how many home runs do they get how many stolen bases do they get and what's their batting average and you kind of you know you set a, a value in your head based upon those numbers i don't know that you actually said yourself oh yeah oh they score a lot of runs too and and sort of change your mental perception of what they may be worth so that would be the first thing is don't you know, don't send out an email to the league. Hey guys, I uh, I'm really looking to to ramp up my runs total. What can you do to help me? Uh, 
I, I would sort of avoid that. Um, and then just there are some players that that aren't known for scoring runs. You don't think that you don't have them for runs, but they score a lot of runs. So you can either get them as a throw-in or 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 tar you know target them in a trade. If the percept you know if the first thought isn't oh he scores a lot of runs, you you might be able to get him uh, from the owner at, at a reasonable cost. I think is the uh, don't put the don't put runs in their head. You have it in your head, but don't let them think about the value of the runs that the player scores. At the current moment, the runs scored category at the top of the list is uh, Brian Dozier of Minnesota, and who saw that coming? But the list itself looks like a, a who's who of all-around good players. You see names like Tulowitzki, Josh Donaldson, Jose Bautista, Goldschmidt, uh, Giancarlo Stanton, uh, even Melky Cabrera of Toronto. They've scored a lot of runs of late, although uh, not really of late. Uh, Matt Carpenter, you mentioned, Kinsler, and so on. So... We know where the runs are coming from, but those guys are going to be rostered. Is there any potential help out there for runs in the free agent player pools? It, it obviously depends on the size of your league. Uh, these are in, 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 you're not going to get the all-around great players, but the other the key is being at the top of an order. And lately, Seattle has been playing Andy Chavez in the leadoff spot. Why I don't know, but they've been doing it. And with Michael Saunders being out. There's the potential that they continue to do it a little bit longer. Uh, the Diamondbacks on occasion have been using Ender Inciarte at the top of their order, although not as much lately. Um, he's a, he's a potential, uh, source for runs. He was hurt. This is one of my favorites. He was hurt and talks about in the piece. Uh, Cole Calhoun might be available in some mixed leagues because he may have been dropped when he was hurt and he really hasn't, you know, turned it on since he came back. But he's hitting a top of a, a very potent order. And if we remember what he did in 66 or whatever it was, games at the end of last year, uh, if he can even reach that pace for the rest of this season, he's going to score a bunch of runs. Michael Choice of Texas has been hitting at the top of that order a lot. Uh, and with all the injuries there, there's a chance that he continues to, to hit at that spot. Uh, although he's going to have to... I think he's going to have to hit because they do have some people that can, they can put up in the leadoff spot. They had a, they didn't have to. Well, yeah, yeah, they had to with all their injuries. Move Shin Chu Chu down to the, thir the three hole, so it's opened up uh, the spot for Mart for for choice. And or Leonis Martin, if he gets hot, can be put up in the leadoff spot. But he's probably not on, he's probably not available. So you you take a look, and nowadays with all the daily games out there, there's sites that track lineups. Uh, so just take a look at the uh, who's hitting leadoff. Or you know, high up in the order of these uh, of these teams, and see if there's a name that might be in your free agent pool. In your column at FantasyAlarm.com, you also mentioned Drew Stubbs, not exactly an on-base star, but uh, Colorado's really been hit by outfield injuries. Carlos Gonzalez, Michael Kadire, both on the DL. Could that create an opportunity for a guy like Stubbs, despite his uh, obvious shortcomings in the on-base department? Yes. Now. At the time when I wrote it, they had used him up, up, up top a couple times. Well, actually, this is going to lead into another name. At the time, they used him up top a couple of times, so he was uh, a possibility. But since, they've been using my old buddy Josh Rutledge, who talk about the forgotten runs, the forgotten man. And there's a lot of us out there that are sort of hoping that, that Rutledge finally gets his... Uh, another chance to show that what he did a couple years ago wasn't a complete fluke. 
if if Rutledge for whatever reason can stick in the two hole, he's another guy that can score uh, runs in bunches, especially in that lineup. So uh, I would yeah look look to, to to Colorado and see who they're using in the two hole is another possibility to uh, to help the runs. You're listening to Baseball HQ Radio, our Friday news and notes edition, talking with Todd Zola. I'm Patrick Davitt. Uh, Todd, uh, you wrote in FantasyAlarm.com another really interesting column and something I think anybody who plays, especially daily games, needs to look at, and it's called lineup stacking. And I wonder what, first of all, does lineup stacking mean? Lineup stacking is a very common uh, procedure in the daily games where you focus a bunch of your players, a bunch of your active spots on the same offensive team. That way, uh, well, you, you, you look for a, a team that's got good matchups, usually against a poor pitcher. The, uh, the environment, the venue can help, home away can help. But the, the number one thing you're looking for is players from the same team facing a, a less than stellar pitcher a pitcher that's likely to give up a bunch of runs. But it's more than just getting guys in the same offensive lineup because you make a real interesting argument about event efficiency. Explain what you meant by that. See that yeah, that was, you know, stacking is is fairly well known within the daily industry. Uh and it you know, it makes sense, but I was thinking it through a little bit and it, perhaps it's in, in implied or or someone knows it or it just maybe it's obvious or maybe it's not. But to me what really makes stacking more efficient and this is what i don't hear when i hear people say you know stack this team i don't hear this specific advice which is why i focused on it is the players need to be as close as they can in the lineup you know some some i've seen some stacks where you know maybe it's because of the 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 relative cost or because of the handedness of the players they'll take like the first hitter and the sixth hitter or you know the first fifth and sixth or or something to that effect stacking's usually three or four players it can be two but it's usually three or four depending upon how many the site allows some sites limit the amount of players from one team that you can actually choose but the point as far as the efficiency and the events go if you think about it there's a, there's a, a finite amount of events that occur over the course of a slate of games that lead to a fantasy point being scored well, you know, a stolen base, uh, an out, or a run, or or a walk or hit batsman. But there's a finite amount of these events. And by stacking, and if you've got players close together in the order, you can double down on a few of these events. Whenever a run scored, if you happen to have the guy that knocked the guy in that scored, and vice versa, you can get multiple well, points from multiple players on the same event. Now, I mean, it, there's you know, there's millions of events of the course of an evening, so it's, it's you know, percentage-wise, it's you know, not a whole lot. But the more of these on an individual basis, the more times that you can have two of your players score in the same play, it could give you an edge over someone else in your league who might just have eight or nine individual players on you know without having you know a partner from the same team in your active lineup so they don't get the you don't get the benefit of of doubling up on any of these scoring events now you you know players can do well on their own but again part of the the stack is 
your these players are supposed to do just as well as someone else in another team's lineup, and you double down on the event. So if uh, you get uh, three guys in a row uh, stacked on your team and uh, the first guy walks, the second guy uh, gets a hit, and the third guy homers, you're going to uh, gonna rack up a huge pile of points because you're going to get all three of the runs, you're going to get the home run, you're going to get the hits and walks, and all of those things clustered together, which means the one event now creates four or five scoring points instead of just the, the one or two that it would have scored otherwise. Right, and it doesn't seem like much, but especially... In tournament play, uh, two, two, point, I mean, two points can mean a whole lot of jelly beans in some of these daily games. So, yeah, and, and it, might, it may take you from the cusp of, of where the, the cutoff is into the, the, the part of the tournament in a, in a cash game where all you're trying to do is double your money. You know, two points is, is going to take you from not cashing to doubling your money. So sure, it, it's a, uh, there, there are, there are risks involved because the old put your eggs in all in one basket scenario. But without, you know, without getting into too much detail, at least this point, uh, as far as the daily games, as, as one can imagine, there's a lot of lineup hedging where you're, you're not just putting in one lineup, calling it a day and, 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 and hoping it does well. Teams put in multiple lineups. So as far as, you know, stacking goes, when you're putting in, you know, multiple lineups, it's just a way to make that individual, that particular stack more efficient. If all I'm doing is having some fun and want to, you know, just play one or one or two games a night, I might not stack. Uh, I, th- I actually, I, w- I would because over, if I do this one or two lineups a night over several weeks, I have a better chance of having success. But, uh, I, I can see where, in any given night, you might not want to put all your eggs in one basket if you're a more casual player. But for those that are playing, volume stacking is is needed, and this to me is just a way to make your stack more efficient. But you mentioned the obvious disadvantage. The team from which you drew your stack might run into a hot pitcher, and the event efficiency that derives from those synergies in the lineup is now synergies working against you in the lineup because nobody's doing anything. How do you know if the risk created by stacking is offset by the potential efficiency gains? Well, that's that's the whole idea about the lineup hedging. And it's, it's a mentality that I'm... It's hard for me to understand playing the daily games, but you, you have to be willing to lose in order to be successful in the long run when you play the dailies. You're not going to win every single contest. Matter of fact, you're going to lose more than you win. Uh, even if you play the double ups, you're, you're, you're still going to lose more than you win. But it's the amount of when you actually cash in some of the tournaments is when you can come out ahead. So you have to go into it knowing that not every one of your lineups is going to be a gem. And you also have to pretty much assume that if, if I go this way on this team and this way on this team, that one of the two is not going to do very well. Cause there's sometimes some nights where there, you want to stack on both sides of the equation. Both pitchers might be poor. And sure, sometimes it's a 14 to 10 game, but usually one of the two lineups doesn't perform quite as, as, as you might have expected. So there's definitely a risk involved, but that's part of the, some people will refer to as the gambling aspect of, of daily. And maybe they're a little bit right, but I still, I, I'm not so sure that it's gambling. It, 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 it's sort of, I mean, it's, I don't want to get into the, 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 the argument of gambling or not, but, uh, it, it's, 
a different way of thinking than you have to think if you, if you're doing regular fantasy for sure. Is there though any uh, applicability of this idea to a regular fantasy league? I'm thinking that if you had a or we're fairly confident that a particular team is going to score a fair amount of runs or be offensively very powerful, then you might go into the draft thinking, you know, if I'm if I'm really confident as I was that that Boston's going to score a lot of runs, then I want the two, three, four, five stack on my team for the whole year, and in a way, it would seem less risky as long as the team performs. Uh, Boston, unfortunately, so far is not. But it, it seems like if you manage to pick the right team, you could go a long way by having all of the run producers in the lineup in your lineup. Yeah, I have to think about it because, I mean, in, in, a, in a long-term league, you're, you're, sort, you're doing a, 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 a season-long projection. So the fact that the, you know, the runs and the RBIs are sort of built into your expectation. In the daily game, you're looking for opportunities where teams – do better than they normally do. So there, there's, there is that in there. However, what I can see is if that, if, if you have several players on the same team and for whatever reason that team is doing better than normal, if for whatever reason you ended up with a bunch of Oakland A's on your team this year, you're probably doing better than you expected. And it's, there is a, a domino or synergistic effect. So I think it can possibly, I think, I don't think that you want to, overthink that sort of thing in the, in the traditional fantasy because it should be factored in to your original expectation of, of run scoring. But I, I can see where, especially if you have a, a good feeling about a team or if, if a new player is coming to that team to hit in the heart of the order, depending upon how projections are done, maybe that the player is going to score a few more runs and, and maybe it didn't get caught by that particular engine because it based upon previous year's worth of runs. So I can see where you might be able to sneak out a few runs with RBIs that way. But I don't, I don't know. I think there's too much, again, because of your factoring in at the beginning, I don't know how much of an advantage you're going to get. Well, I guess the way it turns out is you get a huge advantage if you're right about how many runs the team is going to score, and you create a pretty serious disadvantage for yourself if the team doesn't perform up to your expectations, uh, as has happened in my instance with those Boston guys. But I'm thinking about a situation, especially in a straight draft, where you get to your sixth round pick and you're looking at two or three outfielders you want to fill in, and you already have you know, Yoana Cespedes and you have Josh Donaldson from earlier in the draft and you think, well, my choice here is, you know, uh, Michael Bourne on the one hand or Coco Crisp on the other and leaving aside the injury risk, wouldn't you maybe just think, boy, if I ended up with the top three out of the top five guys in the Oakland lineup, assuming that I expect them to score a lot of runs, I'm going to benefit from that synergistic effect you mentioned? I think yes. I th I think there is a benefit. I don't know how much. I don't think it's to the extent that it would be in the dailies, just because, like I said, what you're looking for in the dailies is for the for the team to perform better than they normally do. Um, I think you know it, you mentioned forget the injury not or not worrying about the injuries, but to me, when I, when I actually are picking teams, and I actually did get lucky doing this on the rock with the Rockies on a couple of occasions is I'll pick players from the same team figuring that if one gets hurt, the other, at least in terms of, of playing time, is going to benefit a little bit. 
So, you know, you, you pick a Carlos Gonzalez and you picked at the time you weren't sure if it was Blackman or if it was Dickerson, it turned out to be both. But if you take them, if you take them both, uh, you know, Cargo's going to get hurt, which means that it's going to help the playing time of one of the other guys. And at least one team I have has benefited thus far, although unfortunately Cargo has gotten hurt. So we'll see if it continues to benefit. But uh, I can see where you can even use this sort of stacking as far as playing time goes as, as well. But yeah, there, there, I, 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 I'm going to need to think about it. And when, when I start to do some projections and draft strategy, I can see where the possibility is that it could help. Now, had, you know, I know there's a, maybe not as many as some people think, but there's a bunch of head to head players out there too. Head to head fantasy. And when we're talking rotisserie here and head to head, you know, when you, once you get to your league playoffs, you know, some, some players don't like to have all the players on the same team because if the team goes in the tank, then your team goes in the tank in the playoffs, but it's just part and parcel to, to the head to head nature of, of, of that form of fantasy baseball. Yeah, I really like the head-to-head format in the regular season and in the playoffs, not so much for that very reason. Um, Todd, I know you said in the column you're planning an experiment to test this whole idea of stacking. Uh, in a nutshell, how's that going to work and when's it going to be uh, happening? Yeah, it's going to take a little bit of, of planning. Um, basically, I'm going to, well, first thing, in, I do this in daily fantasy anyway, is just always take a look at the successful lineups of the, uh, 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 that win the tournament you're in or, or, or things like that just to see you don't necessarily want to emulate exactly what they're doing but it does give you an idea especially if you're new to the game things that might work so I'm sort of tracking to see if if teams that win if they employ this the stack and then furthermore what I'm going to do is see if how many players on their team because what I said in the article was, you don't necessarily have to stack three or four or five guys. You can just go two. You can have the three, four hitter, the one and three hitter. You can just have a mini stack. So I'm, I'm checking to see how many players on these successful teams don't have any teammates in the lineup at all. And then as I'm doing that, I'm setting up a whole bunch of very low cost, uh, games at these sites where I'm setting lineups that have got at least two players from the same team at, at all my spots. You know, I don't have any player that's just from, you know, one player from the team. And to set up, you know, coming from the science background that I am, have to set up some controls where uh, I, I sub in a similar player for each and then a player for both and try to figure out which, which lineup consistently scores scores better the one with the 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 two man stacks or could it be one of the other three controls where replace a player one at a time or replace both of them you have to you know factoring in you know the performance isn't fixed so you can't just do it once or twice and say well this is better you have to do it a million times not a million but a lot of times uh to flesh out the variance of how the, the players perform but uh, so I'm, I'm sort of thinking about how to set that up because it takes time and I want to play my regular lineups. So uh, just have to find the right time to be able to uh, do these sets of experiments, track the results and decide if stacking or mini stacking is the way to go. 
I thought there was an interesting comment in the column from one of your readers talking about he how he kind of got hit by the reverse whammy of stacking. He had Lonnie Chisenhall the night that Chisenhall had uh, three homers and nine RBIs, I think, and he had uh, Lonnie Chisenhall on his roster, and he, every time he hit a home run, he says, I checked to see how far I'd moved up since Chisenhall wasn't really heavily owned in my league. I noticed I wasn't moving up much at all. Well, it turns out that most of the guys who had Lonnie also had Kipnis and other players ahead of him that he was knocking in. So it's going to be interesting to see how the experiment plays out. So uh, in a way, like lineup stacking can work for you or again you. Right. Now, that goes back, like we said at the beginning, though, is if all you're doing is putting in one lineup, uh, you can get burned if the stack doesn't come through. But on any given night, if you've got a you know uh, an A stack and a Blue Jay stack and a that night happened to be a good night to stack the Indians. At least they were. I think it was Nick, Nick Tepish was the starting pitcher. Nothing nothing personal to Mr. Tepish and his family, but a lot of us had a pretty good evening by uh, by stacking Indians. Michael Brantley and, and Kipnis, etc. That night, uh, so. Chisenhall was actually he was pretty well well his own more than usual just because his price was so low had the lefty righty matchup so a lot of people identified him as a, as a good option they might not have also identified some of the other you know Brantley and Kipnis and and some of the other guys on on the team even as Drupal Cabrera had a good night that night uh, so some of us might have had the maximum you could in the lineup and had a very fun evening last Monday. Others, if you just had Chisenhall, probably did well, but like he said, learned the hard way that he didn't have enough Indians in the group. You're listening to Baseball HQ Radio, Patrick Davitt with Todd Zola from uh, mastersball.com and fantasyalarm.com, of course, baseballhq.com and Chandler Park. And uh, I wanted to talk about something you wrote, Todd, about in the Chandler Park website, and it was about players in monthly leagues using the players owned tables from the stat provider on roto.com, I think, and using those tables to advantage. And you talked particularly about if your team is running behind the pack that you can maybe derive an advantage by consulting the tables of players who are owned in your league. How does that work? Right. Uh, This all stems from the the start sit columns that that we write. And the first couple I wrote, you know, just looking for, for names, that I felt were good starts or bad starts, then I realized, you know, I don't know if anybody owns these guys. I could, I could, I could have ten of the most brilliant comments in the world, but no one happened to own those players in Chandler Park. And sure enough, it, it is on Roto, and, and knowing on Roto, they have these sorts of things. And there it was, uh, a chart that you can that you can access that tells you exactly the percentage of the players in major leagues that are owned in your Chandler Park League and in all the Chandler Park Leagues. And not only that, it tells you the, the, the percentage of player owned in the in the best in, in the, the best of the best that are playing, the top teams in all the leagues. So you can sort of do some research and and, and, and use it to help you going forward. But as I suggested in the in the piece you know, it, it's the old principle. You see it all the time when you know all these when they make predictions on TV and, the, and they're predicting football games and the guys behind and says, "Well, I don't really want to take this team to beat this team, but the only way I'm going to catch you is if I go the opposite of you." So it's it's somewhat of the same principle in that you might not think this particular pitcher has has got a good matchup. You normally wouldn't start him, but if you own him and, and no one else does or very few do 
and you're behind in, in ERA or strikeouts or where, if you need to make up ground, you have no choice but to play that player. You know, you're not going to win anyway, so if so, what's, so you finish 18th instead of 15th. The only way you're going to finish in the top five is if you get lucky on some of these players. So it was, it was as much to make people aware that it's even there than, you know, and plus, you know, plus to show why and some ideas to use it. Uh, early in the month, I think you just want to play your best players. Don't worry necessarily as much about it. You know, pound those stats up. But if you need to make up ground, it can, if the situation presents itself where you've got players that you own that others don't, it could even, you know, even, even with position players. Sometimes you're picking players with a low, low salary just because you need to get under the cap. You might not play the player. You're going to play your stud instead. But it might be towards the end of the year where, or end of the month, end of the month in, in the Chandler Park game where you need the lesser player to have himself a weekend in order to catch up in runs or home runs. If if you use the guy that everybody's using, if you're using Canarsione and he does what he always does, it doesn't matter. Everybody's going to get those homers. You've got to use Justin Smoke and hope that Canarsione has a rough weekend and, and the three homers that Smoke happen to hit catch you up to all the teams that are using Encarnacion. So is the same thing true? Can you reverse the process by maximizing the players you have in common with everybody else if you're in a winning position and you want to protect it? Yeah. Uh, yes, you can. Um, now, I, I would use it on the, on the border. I don't, I don't think I would start a bad pitcher you know i don't know that i would take a chance i wouldn't start a heavily owned pitcher with a rough matchup i still might sit i don't know but yeah absolutely you can uh you can very definitely make sure on the fringe that you play the player because the other thing being players are heavily owned probably because their salary was a little bit lower than normal so i think you know if, if there's a 50-50 shots, I play this guy or that guy, and you want to protect the lead, yeah, I think I would play the player that others are playing, even if I may have a, a slight hunch that this other guy over here might do a little bit better. It's it's a weekend's worth of games or four games at the beginning of the week. I will protect my, my lead by playing the players that probably are going to be a wash across the board because they're owned by a lot of players. It's a very interesting concept, Todd. Thanks very much for sharing it with us, and we'll talk with you again next week. Looking forward to it, Patrick. We'll talk to you then. Todd Zola writes for BaseballHQ.com, FantasyAlarm.com, MastersBall, ESPN, and, of course, ChandlerPark.com, and he appears every Friday here at Baseball HQ Radio. Our Baseball HQ commentaries are next. Stay with us. Pitcher matchups and master notes coming up on Baseball HQ Radio. Playing fantasy baseball is about having fun. So have more fun more often with One Month Fantasy Games at ChandlerPark.com. One Month Games offer the best of both worlds, the fast action and excitement of daily games with the strategy and tactics of full season formats. You draft your team using set salaries, all based on player performance. Then you set your roster twice a week, playing matchups in hot hands. Best of all, one bad month doesn't sink your whole season. And a fast start puts you in the money that much quicker. More fantasy fun more often with One Month Fantasy Games at ChandlerPark.com. This is Ron Chandler, Monthly Fantasy Baseball. More drafts, more pennant races, more fantasy fun more often. Give it a try. 
And welcome back to Baseball HQ Radio. I'm Patrick Davitt. Time now for our regular Friday commentaries. I'm on deck with Master Notes, and we lead off this inning with our matchups segment. Remember, our Baseball HQ matchup ratings look at every starting pitcher matchup by pitcher skills and recent performance, as well as the strength of the opposing team. We arrive at a matchup rating from plus 5 to minus 5. We recommend pitchers with matchup ratings of 2.0 or higher, while we warn against pitchers with ratings of 0 or worse. Everything in between, we call that a risk versus benefit play that you'll assess using your own team and league contexts. Now looking at coming matchups for Pittsburgh right-hander Charlie Morton at Miami against left-hander Randy Wolf, San Diego right-hander Tim Stauffer at the Mets and right-hander Zach Wheeler, and another Padres-Mets tilt with right-hander Ian Kennedy taking on right-hander Daisuke Matsuzaka, here's BaseballHQ.com analyst Greg Fishwick. It's Father's Day weekend. Does that conjure up images of gift ties destined for garage sales? If so, remember... There are no ties in baseball. So it's safe to use the BaseballHQ.com Pitcher Matchups tool to find the perfect Father's Day gift. We recommend a shopping selection of 15 pitchers this weekend, and here we'll feature four that would make great gifts for the father of any fantasy team. On Saturday in Miami, Charlie Morton leads the Pittsburgh Pirates into town with a fine matchup rating of 188. But he's not the story. Apparently all those retirees are right. There is a fountain of youth in Miami, and it's the Marlins. Yes, the Miami Marlins own the best home record in Major League Baseball. Meanwhile, the Pirates' road record is 25th. Who is the beneficiary of this mismatch? What formerly thought to be washed up 37-year-old with just three starts so far this year gets the gift of a 320 matchup rating? Here's a hint. His brother is a Major League umpire. The surprise lucky lefty is Randy Wolf. But Wolf is not the best of our Father's Day gift selection. That distinction belongs to the New York Mets' Zach Wheeler. He's at home with the highest matchup rating of the weekend, 336. Wheeler earned that rating with four straight PQS dominant starts at home and four PQS dominant starts in his past five overall. And it gets even better with Wheeler. His opponent, Tim Stauffer of the San Diego Padres has the worst matchup rating of the weekend, a minus 171. Our final Father's Day gifts come from both sides of the Sunday matchup between the Padres and the Mets, which should be a close contest. Ian Kennedy arrives in the Big Apple with 13 of 14 and seven consecutive PQS dominant starts. All seven of his road starts have been PQS dominant. He has a fine matchup rating of 279. And his opponent has the third and final matchup rating above three for the weekend at 311. Like Wolf, he was thought to be finished. Also like Wolf, he has only three starts so far this year after he began the season in the Mets bullpen. But if Pedro Martinez were his interpreter, Daisuke Matsusaka might say, Who's your daddy? For Baseball HQ Radio, This is Greg Fishwick of BaseballHQ.com. If your league rules or format let you take advantage of pitcher streaming, then you need to check out daily matchup reports as well as the exclusive Baseball HQ Pitcher Matchups tool only at BaseballHQ.com. Now it's time for Master Notes, a weekly comment on baseball and fantasy baseball. I'm up in the rotation this week, and I want to talk about the rearview mirror versus the windshield. What a difference a year makes. 
I was watching a Red Sox game the other night because it seemed like a better idea than cleaning out the garage. Also, I had three Boston players in tow oars, second baseman Dustin Pedroia, designated hitter David Ortiz, and first baseman Mike Napoli are all members of my squad. During the game, the broadcaster showed a graphic detailing the subpar performances of Pedroia and Ortiz, and this was news that came as no surprise. I had picked these three batters because I regarded them as reliable fantasy producers, well worth my $20 to $30 investments. Of course, they've all been woefully short of delivering that kind of value. Ortiz has produced maybe around 15 bucks worth, and Pedroia and Napoli have combined for about $14 more. After the Red Sox game, I was curious to find out just how much Pedroia and Ortiz have affected my tout squad with their underperformance, and how much Napoli has affected my team by missing 15 games on the DL with leg problems, a badly jammed finger, hooray for head-first slides, and the flu. After I finished the analysis, I found I'd learned one very important thing. Doing it was a waste of my time. In fantasy baseball, as in most endeavors, our journey goes better if we look out the windshield and not in the rearview mirror. Okay, so how bad has it been? Through 65 games last year, my three socks had combined for a 386 on on-base percentage. We use on-base percentage in tout. They'd hit 26 home runs, scored 113 runs and driven in 132 more, and stolen 11 bases. This year, a combined OBP of 360, 26 points lower than last season. They'd hit 23 home runs, down 3. They'd scored 80 runs, down 33, had driven in 83, which was down 49, and stolen 8 bases, down 3. A few more minutes with my spreadsheet, and I knew how much my category and overall standings had been affected. If my three socks had just matched last year's performance to date, I'd have one extra point in home runs. No extra points in on-base percentage yet, but I'd be within striking distance of a point or two. Six more points in runs scored, and within easy reach of two more there. And a fairly staggering ten more points in RBI. In all, I found I would have been up 17 points with a good shot at two or three more. Even the sure 17 points would have moved me up in the overall standings from 10th to 7th, and I'd have been within two points of 5th and four and a half points of 4th. In a word, it would have been huge. And then I realized, so what? It's almost no use to know this. There is clearly some value in looking in the rearview mirror. Looking backward lets us figure out where we might have erred in draft strategy, execution, and our in-season actions. For instance, I'm sure I'll benefit from looking at my three socks to see if there were signs that these poor outcomes might be possible or even likely, or if they were good players that just happened not to go well. But the time for that kind of analysis is after the season. By doing it during the year, I crossed the line from analysis to second-guessing myself. And the critical difference, I think, lies in a simple question. So, what are you going to do about it? After the season, I can change my player evaluation methods. After the season, I can improve my draft planning. After the season, I can adjust my risk management at the draft table. During the season, I can... Well, I can pout a little, and that's about it. Because the only way to fix the poor production from Pedroia, Ortiz, and Napoli is to not have drafted them at all. 
I should have picked Brian Dozier over Pedroia. Obviously Victor Martinez over Ortiz. Obviously Brandon Moss over Napoli. And K-Rod over Parnell and Burley over Masterson and, and, and. But of course I can't. Even if I did have a time machine, I'd probably use it to go back and bet my life savings on the Reds to win the 1990 World Series. Or maybe I'd invest in Microsoft. Maybe I'd just go back and tell my teenage self not to start smoking and to do something about that awful haircut. Now, I know why I did the analysis of what my three socks have cost me. Because it was easy. I should have spent the time doing what is harder. The great inventor Thomas Edison once said, We miss opportunity because it comes to us in disguise. It is dressed in overalls and it looks like work, Edison said. He also apparently thought opportunity looked an awful lot like infringing on other people's patents. But that's a topic for another day. Put simply, I need to do the work. First, I need to get in there and really look at these three players. Do their skills merit optimism that they can, or even will, bounce back and give me solid production for the remaining hundred games of this year? If so, just hanging on to them might be like getting big upgrades for free. I can also do the same thing with my burgeoning disabled list. Is there any help riding over the horizon from that quarter? What about the prospects who are sure to start pouring into the game? Is there potential help there in the free agent pool? Then I need to assess the situation. I need to put all 15 teams into a spreadsheet with their current rosters, category positions, and overall points, and with the projections for the rest of the year. Then I'll be able to answer questions like, where are your opportunities? And where do you have no opportunities? You're dead in the water. Those are much better questions than, how much has Pedroia cost you so far? Because asking about opportunities helps create a plan. Because Tout Wars is a trading league, I need to assess whether I can manufacture win-win-win deals, where my trading partner helps me and I help him, but he also helps me by going past some of my overall competitors. Still the most overlooked trading tactic in the book. I need to do the work. So maybe this all worked out okay. If I hadn't started out doing the useless analysis about the unchangeable past performance of those three Red Sox players, I might never have realized how pointless it is to look in the rearview mirror when I have a windshield in front of me that I can look through to do the analysis that will really matter. For Baseball HQ Radio, I'm Patrick David of BaseballHQ.com, and I'm a member of the Master Notes rotation here at Baseball HQ Radio. You can get Master Notes delivered to your email inbox every Friday in the weekly free Fantasy Friday e-newsletter. Just go to BaseballHQ.com and sign up. Of course, we also have Master Notes here at Baseball HQ Radio every week. And that's Baseball HQ Radio, the Friday News and Notes edition for Friday the 13th of June. Thanks very much for taking the time to come out from under your bed to download and listen to show number 42 of the 2014 Fantasy Baseball season. I also want to thank our commentators from BaseballHQ.com, the best fantasy baseball website in the business. Our League Watch news analysts were Harold Nichols and Jock Thompson. Our regular Friday Talk with Todd correspondent was Todd Zola. And our HQ matchups commentator, BaseballHQ.com analyst Greg Fishwick. I'm Patrick Davitt. I sure hope to see you on the BaseballHQ.com subscriber forums. And remember, you can check out BaseballHQ on Facebook, and we have a Twitter feed at BaseballHQ. You can also subscribe to my personal Twitter feed at Patrick Davitt and be the first to know when a new show is up. 
More importantly, please tell your friends about Baseball HQ Radio and take a second to go to iTunes and add to our 4.8 star rating. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back again in four days with our Tuesday Tout Edition, featuring BaseballHQ.com minor league analyst Rob Gordon talking about the draft. That's the next edition of the podcast with fantasy baseball intelligence for winners. It is Baseball HQ Radio. So long. Baseball HQ Radio is a weekly free podcast available through iTunes and other podcast aggregators or directly from BaseballHQ.com where we have an archive of past shows as well. Just look for the HQ Radio microphone logo on the right side of the BaseballHQ.com homepage. Baseball HQ Radio is a production of the USA Today Sports Media Group. The opinions expressed on Baseball HQ Radio are those of the individual speaking and not necessarily those of the USA Today Sports Media Group. The program is produced and edited by Patrick Davitt.